Happy holidays, film fans! Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Wednesday, December 12th, 2018, and I am feeling jolly. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's, all fast approaching, and so are we. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined today once again by Mr. Evan Dean. You feeling the Christmas spirit yet, buddy? I am feeling the Christmas spirit. Happy to be back on a pod. But I'll say I'm trying to keep up with you. You know, you you watch movies at such a rapid pace. You're such an avid film fan, which is great for the pod and for a podcast host. And it's tough. And I mean, now, you know, something, you know, you usually spend time doing, you won't be doing anymore. So you got even more time. Shocking that uh, doing a film podcast actually requires watching movies. You, didn't, you missed my jam there, um, didn't you? I'm just going to pretend that this is a film podcast. Aww. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but in honor of the holidays, we have some fun things planned for you today. It's That's a right. jam-packed episode 25 of the SDFP. How appropriate. Our Christmas 25. episode is number 25. Uh, we're going to start briefly uh, by discussing the Golden Globes nominations little cameo from Fletcher there. We're going to briefly discuss the Golden Globes nominations that were released last week. Uh, then both Dean and I are going to share our thoughts on some of the things we've been watching lately. Lots of films coming out this time of year, whether they're holiday blockbusters or some of the smaller Oscar contenders. Um, and that will all lead up to the return of Power Rankings. Uh, this time, Dean and I are ranking our top three Christmas films of all time. Those are Christmas bells in the background. Yes, everybody. Christmas bells, yeah. Christmas bells. Uh, but first, we want to tell you how to get in touch with us, as we always do. Dean, you want to do that real quick? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think the biggest way that we want to connect with people is Facebook. Um, you can just go to Second Day Film Podcast on Facebook. Give us a like. Uh, if you already like the pod, please uh, invite all your friends to like it. You know, that's how we grow this thing is by having more followers, having more people listen, having more people connect. You can also email us, uh, and you can also connect with us on Twitter as well. And if you do, you know, Champa, you know, sometimes will tend to do a little play-by-play in some old films that he's watching, and it can be a little entertaining. I was following along this week. So there's a whole bunch of ways. Uh, of course, SoundCloud's kind of our base, Champ, of where we we broadcast. Yep, right? and we're also on iTunes, and also just this week we are on Instagram. You can search us at Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, decided to, to boot up a little Instagram page. is just another way you can get in touch with us. Uh, shared a couple things on there. Shared our logo. Uh, shared a cardboard cutout that was kind of cool of uh, Bumblebee, which is coming out this Christmas. Um, we'll also try and work in some breaking news on there. Uh, but basically, if you're on social media, search the Second Day Film Podcast. Give us a like. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, we want to hear from you. Um, so anyways, lots to get to today, yeah. Dean, as we said. Um, let's start with the Golden Globe nominations. This Golden Globes, of course, traditionally kick off the award season, which is going to be fast approaching. Um, and it's sort of the one that's known as the fun party in yeah. Hollywood and sort of maybe one that's a little more lax, maybe gives a little more love to uh, maybe some of the less... Uh, shall we say, snobby films, for well, lack of a better word. And I'm sure we'll talk about this. I won't go too much into it come, you know, we'll talk about this come Oscar time, but they're having a hard time finding a host. So your point is well taken. This is considered, like, the fun show, while the Oscars is kind of... Kind of taking Stuffy. some heat. Yeah, it's kind of taking some heat lately. So the Golden Globes, uh, obviously, uh, like you said, really a fun award show. And I want to kind of run through a few things that I noticed uh, with the list of nominations. First up, you really can't miss it, Black Panther nominated for Best Drama here. And the reason it was interesting to me and I took note of it is because, you know, I mean, let's be honest here, not many superhero films 
are given nods for big award shows. They're just not. Uh, if you uh, saw Black Panther or haven't seen it and want to hear about it, it was our first ever Nostalgia. review. The, on the, the special place in yes, our heart. on the SDFP. Um, you can find that on our on a SoundCloud. Uh, but the, the thing about this particular Marvel film, and we talked about it back then, is it had so much cultural relevance. I mean, there's so much about race um, and diversity. And I, I wonder if, do you think that helped it garner a nomination for in a, you know, in kind of a, in a lane of films that usually don't? I think there's no question about it. I mean, the fact that people that normally could not see a superhero and, and relate to it, um, I definitely think that played a factor in being nominated. And it was also a great movie. I mean, let's let's be real. There's plenty of movies oh, yeah. about African Americans or, or it, that include diversity. But this was actually a good movie. The action was great. The performances. Uh, Michael B. Jordan uh, was amazing. And um, um, I'm blanking on, on who actually played Black Panther right now. Um, but... Just good performances. Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the scenery, the, like, oh, what Wakanda actually looked like was awesome. So all around good movie. I'm glad to see it's getting some attention. Yeah, me as well. Um, unsurprisingly, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper both nominated for their performances for A Star is Born. Bradley Cooper also nominated for Best Director. I'm sure you know. How many noms did this get total? Uh, quite a bit because Lady Gaga was also nominated. Uh, Best original song for Shallow was nominated, which you, so you could say Bradley Cooper was a was a triple nominee yeah. actually yeah. because he sings that song with her and that. Um, probably a couple others. I'm not exactly sure, but those are the big uh, least Best Picture uh, actually, and that's actually a good transition for what something I noticed is the Golden Globes. Obviously, uh, different from the Academy Awards has the Best Musical or Comedy category and the Best Drama category. Yeah. Um, funny enough, both will. Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born fell into the drama category and not the musical or comedy category, which I found a little bit strange because they're movies that are heavily centered on music. Yes, they are dramas, um, but they are kind of musicals too. And it, it kind of goes to a bigger thing with the Golden Globes. I feel like there's always some inconsistency in Absolutely. which films get put in which side because a couple years ago, The Martian, which was a movie with Matt Damon, was in the uh, comedy or, or uh, musical category, which seemed to make no sense whatsoever. It almost seems like they just put the films in the categories where, so they can get the movies they actually want to nominate. They just base the categories on that rather than what the movie actually is. No, that's a good point. Obviously, no one would ever perceive A Star is Born as a comedy, so maybe they wanted to steer clear of associating it with musical or comedy. It's interesting you say that, though, because a film I'm going to review later in the show actually was nominated for Best Comedy, and it's also in some ways a drama, right? So, you know, th there are definitely some of those films that you have a hard time kind of drawing that line. And we know the Oscars doesn't do that. And I think here, um, you know, what I've always thought about the Golden Globes and why they do that is it allows for films that traditionally wouldn't make it or get attention, say in the Oscars, to get a chance, to yeah. give some more recognition. Yeah, and I've appreciated that for yeah. sure. Uh, another thing I noticed, uh, uh, who was nominated and who wasn't, no Ryan Gosling for Best Actor and no First Man for Best Drama, which I um, also found to be shocking considering the star power in that movie and Damien Chazelle. We reviewed it a couple weeks ago, um, and I thought it was one of the best movies of the year. It's easily in my top ten. Both left out, but someone that was nominated was Elsie Fisher. Uh, for her role in 8th Grade, which yeah. is a movie that we reviewed uh, a couple months ago. I thought that was really cool because she really was 
uh, really did deliver a powerhouse performance in that movie. It was so subtle in the way she per- portrayed Kayla, the main yeah. character, the way she was able to show the sort of insecurities she had in public, um, like when she's trying to make friends with the cool kids or when she's at the pool party, and how that compared to how confident she was when she was making the, the YouTube videos in her room. Um, you, you know, uh, the scene where the guy was trying to hit on her in the car, or oh, yeah. the conversation with her dad. Um, it was just a really sweet movie, and I think it was anchored by her. So I'm really glad to see a largely unknown like that get a nomination. I agree. Um, you know, these kind of nominations, you know, per- first off, these kind of performances, but second, these nominations can sometimes be launching points for careers. And I actually took note of the same thing in my Golden Globe notes. Uh, you know, that film was great because... You know, you and I are late 20-something men, you know, and that was a movie about an eighth grade girl, and it was great. We laughed our asses off during that film, and to have a a film that's about somebody and, and someone so much different from most of the people seeing it, and yet finding that way to make people laugh and connect, I thought it was great. The animated feature category is completely loaded this year. Uh, usually I just assume Pixar is going to win. This year they had Incredibles too, um, But I don't think you can do that this year. Um, Isle of Dogs, which was a film directed by Wes Anderson, has this sort of quirky, zany, uh, wacky feel to it that has some hilarious moments and clever commentary on, on humans and waste and over consumption and gluttony that was a movie i really enjoyed with the sort of unique sort of animation into the spider-verse is a movie that hasn't really hit theaters nationwide yet but i'm hearing really good things um you know that stars uh, a diverse cast as miles morales is sort of the new age spider-man um from the new comics so that's getting a lot of pub and dino you touched on uh, wreck it uh, ralph breaks the internet last week which is another film um that i'm hearing good things about i haven't seen the last one mirai which is looks like it's one of the japanese anime anime films but i know those are usually received pretty well um so while i liked incredibles too i'm not sure that you can just sort of hand it over to pixar this year i think that's a category that's going to be really interesting to see what happens yeah i mean i agree i i you know hearing those those uh, movies and i mean yeah incredibles too you know i know you you and sam i believe reviewed that film i never saw it um but i know that you guys really enjoyed that i loved wreck it ralph uh, ralph breaks the internet you loved isle of dogs so that'll be pretty interesting um i do think uh you know we focus you know here mostly on film but of course such a big part of the golden globes is television is there anything in particular that you saw um you know on the television side I, you know I, i'm looking through the the list of of you know actors and actresses and shows and you know one that you guys you and sam talked about in the very beginning the assassination assassination or as sam would say the annexation of giovanni versace which is actually the assassination of gianni versace that's in there yeah i actually wrote that down as something that I wanted to highlight because that was a movie early on in the or not a movie it was a mini series on TV on FX that we watched uh, and and I I loved it I loved that thing Darren Chris who actually went to the University of Michigan uh, he played Andrew Cunanan the serial killer in that he's he, he perfectly encapsulates the show. It's called The Assassination of Gianni Versace, but it's really about Andrew Cunanan, and, and he carries that show throughout. I'm glad to see he was nominated. Edgar Ramirez, who plays Gianni Versace, was nominated. Penelope Cruz, who plays his sister, was nominated, and it was also nominated for Best Limited Series. So I was glad to see that that got some attention because I thought that was a really well-done piece 
of programming. Uh, as far as the rest of the television nominees, I haven't seen a lot of the comedies. I haven't seen a lot of the other stuff on TV um, that has been nominated this year. It feels like we kind of got some new blood this year. There's no Game of Thrones, no Westworld, yeah. no... There is, there uh, is one Westworld. Oh, there yeah, Tommy Newton. Tommy Newton. Yeah, yep. she got one. Um, one series I think I mentioned on the pod previously that I wanted to see is Sharp Objects. Yeah. Uh, it was starring Amy Adams. It's from the writer who wrote the same book of Gone Girl. Um, she also wrote Sharp Objects, which was a, a, a book that was made. So that's something I want to see. Obviously, you know, Westworld, I am a huge fan of. Um, so, but you're right. There are a lot of those shows that have dominated the awards at the Golden Globes that aren't there this year. Mm-hmm. So, Anyways, I posted all the uh, Golden Globe nominations to our Facebook page uh, a couple days ago. So if you want to go check out the complete list, go ahead. Um, we're not going to go through every single category sure, yeah. today. we got a lot to get to, um, but those are some of our thoughts. All right, now we're going to jump into some of the films we've been watching lately. As I said before, super busy season right now. Uh, lots of movies coming out, hitting the theaters, hitting Netflix, hitting streaming services. Uh, one that came out a couple weeks ago that I went and saw uh, was Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, this is directed by Brian Singer and stars Remy Malik, uh, Lucy Boynton, Gwendolyn Lee, Ben Hardy, Joe Mazzello, Aidan Gillen, Alan Leach, Tom Hollander, and Mike Myers. Uh, this is... The plot summary from IMDb. A chronicle from the years leading up to Queen's legendary appearance at the Live Aid concert. Uh, So this is a biopic about the legendary rock band Queen, uh, but really it's about Freddie Mercury, the lead singer. Before I get into this review, I have to talk about the screening I was at. So I did something a little different. I went to the 415 showing. um, And I noticed, at least at this screening, that I was the youngest person there by at least 40 years. (laughs) Uh, there was like three or four older couples, um, which I guess makes sense since it's a movie about Queen, a band that came out, you know, a a few years ago. Um, but whatever. The reason I bring this up is because there was a particular set of older ladies sitting right below me. Um, they showed up about 20 minutes late to the movie. This applies to a conversation we had about etiquette a few back. (laughs) Oh, give me a break. You know how I'm very, uh, you know, rigid and stingy in this. Anyways. It wasn't really if they showed up late. God bless them. They drove me crazy. This one lady, every time that something in the movie would happen, she'd be one of those people that sort of like talked out loud and was oh, like, no. and was like, oh, or like something. Someone would ask a question and she'd be like, nope, yup. Like she did this throughout the whole <laughs> movie, nonstop talking throughout, reacting to everything that was happening on screen. Have you ever watched a film with my mother, Marianne? Uh, no. But I love she... my mom. I love her. She can be insufferable. She does the same thing. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's hard. It it's, really yeah. takes you out of the movie when someone does it. And then the last like 20 minutes of this movie is a recreation of a Live Aid show. Um, and they left with like 15 minutes left right in the movie. They just got up and left after seemingly loving the movie the whole time. I don't know. Maybe they were just like, oh, I remember this concert when it was happening. We don't need to watch this anymore because it really is like a recreation. Anyways, it was just kind of like a, a just a little quirky thing that happened during my screening no, of this movie. Um, as for the movie itself, this movie's driven by an incredible performance by Remy Malik, who of course is known uh, for his role in the USA show Mr. Robot, which I've never watched before. Um, but he does a, an incredible job of sort of capturing the oddities and quirkiness of Freddie Mercury. Um, He does a good job portraying this sort of outward confidence, and he's totally fine being himself, and he's going to do things the way that he wants to, and, you know, he's he's very confident in himself, uh, but then there's there's 
points in the movie when he's very insecure, when he's alone and he's calling people because he just needs to talk to someone. And you can tell he's sort of inside, he's really hurting. Um, this movie focuses on only a small portion of Freddie Mercury's life. Um, he died at age 45 from AIDS, so he, he doesn't have a very long life anyways. But they don't really worry about his childhood. Uh, it skips sort of the minutia in the middle. It, do, it focuses on the most important and impactful moments of his life and in the, in the process of Queen. So it's kind of more of a snapshot than a full biopic. I think that was smart. The music, of course, Queen being a legendary rock band, uh, is amazing. Remy Malik's not singing in this. They use original recordings of Freddie Mer Mercury, which I think was uh, smart because... You can't really, you can't really mimic Freddie Mercury's no. voice. He's got one of those that is, uh, like, it's just iconic. You yeah, know, one absolutely. of those few. Yeah. So I haven't seen the movie. Obviously, um, I've heard a lot about it. I wanted to. We talked about going to this film, and it just didn't didn't jive with our schedules. Um, but one thing that I noticed, and I'm sure you'll you'll dive into this a little bit deeper, uh, and just reading about it, is it got rave reviews from the public and very mixed, if not almost negative reviews from critics. And we see that with films, right? I think I think probably what that comes back to is the Queen fans are going to love this because it's the music. They're seeing their favorite band come to life. People who love this music are going to love seeing this portrayed on the big screen. I think what some of the things that critics had issues with, um, there's some blatant historical inaccuracies in this movie in the way that they portray Freddie Mercury's life and his, especially his sexuality and his relationship to both men and women uh there's some things that don't really from what i've read match up about his real life i don't know that much about queen i didn't know that much about them outside of their you know popular songs before i saw this movie but i appreciated that i appreciated it for that reason because i felt like i learned about the band in this the other band members who are also legendary musicians in their own right uh they get kind of shoved to the back as i said before it's a movie about queen but it's really about freddie mercury and i would have liked to have heard a little bit more of their stories and sort of their perspective on things as well much like a star is born the movie does a good job showing how songs were created uh queen unlike a lot of bands all four members were songwriters and they all four wrote a top 10 hit uh, within it so they do a good job sort of showing how they came up with bohemian rhapsody which is one of the zaniest yeah it's wild you know ever. their songs are crazy yeah we will rock you they show how they came up with that they wanted to give a song for the people um so i i, I really appreciated it and of course queen they sang my song, We Are the Champions, so uh, I've quickly been listening to a lot more Queen lately after watching this movie. It'll make you want to explore into their history a little bit more. I don't know that it's a great movie. Uh, definitely has some flaws, especially knowing how it um, maybe shoves some certain things about Mercury's life under the, under the carpet or yeah. tries to portray him in a way that maybe he wasn't. Obviously, he's not around to give us his two cents on what he thinks about it. Um, but I know his band members did serve as consultants, so I think it was probably made in the spirit of trying to do it right. I'm just not sure they hit it at all times, but the music, you're going to love it. Go see it on as big a screen as possible, I'd say, as well. Yeah, obviously, Freddie Mercury is widely considered to have one of the best voices of all time, ever. Um, and many of their songs are just the perfect concert songs, where fans can play along and sing back. Um, what did you come down with it when you when you gave it a final number? So I was between a six and a six and a seven. Okay. Um, I, I didn't think six would be high enough. I ended up giving it a seven out of ten because I really did have a fun time watching the movie. So uh, that's Bohemian Rhapsody. It's still in theaters now. Uh, go check it out if you're remotely interested in rock and roll or Queen. Uh, Evan. What have you been watching? So, last night, uh, I went to the theater to see a film 
called Green Book. So this film um, is directed by Peter Farley, um, who uh, apparently has had involvement in Dumb and Dumber as a writer. There's something about Mary as a producer. Um, but I, as from what I could tell, this was um, this was a big, big, um, you know, kind of a I don't know breakout if you want to call it that. But this was a a big directorial. A feature for him, and it's actually written uh, by uh, Nick Vallelonga. I'm I'm butchering that, which is uh, part of the the joke in this film. Is the the uh, one of the main characters' names? Um, I think it's a joke on this podcast too. We butcher names all oh yeah, the time. Oh yeah. So, but 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 anyway, it's a true story. It's based on a true story, right? And one of the writers is, I believe, a son to the main character Tony Lip. So I'll give you the description here. Um, in 1962, Tony, Tony Lip Valilonga, a tough bouncer, is looking for work with his nightclub when his nightclub is closed for renovations. The most promising offer turns out to be the driver for the African-American classical pianist Dr. Don Shirley for a concert tour into the Deep South States. If you, you know, took history classes, you know in the 60s, the North was a whole hell of a lot different than the South, and that makes this very interesting. So, uh, this stars Viggo Mortensen as uh, as the uh, Italian, um, kind of the hard knuckle Italian bouncer, tough guy. Um, he, you know, he his he's Tony Lip in this film, and then an, a rising star, incredible performance in this is Mahershala Ali. Plays Dr. Don Shirley. Known from uh, Moonlight uh, a couple years ago. Also from House of Cards. Yep. And uh, Luke Cage on Netflix. If he, you've seen those. Yeah, he's become one of my kind of favorite rising star actors. And Mo Viggo Mortensen uh, doesn't really require any introduction. Um, but they were both nominated for uh, Golden Globes uh, for their performances. Viggo as the lead and Mahershala as a supporting, which I would argue they were both leads, quite frankly. Um, that surprised me to see Mahershala was nominated as supporting, but and this was also nominated for best musical or comedy, which after having watched it, it's actually kind of spot on here. Uh, this movie is about really serious issues. It's very squarely about race, um, but it is surprisingly hilarious. I was laughing literally the entire time. The humor in this film is driven almost entirely by the dialogue. Um, so I gave the the plot description, but it's really what it's about. You've got this, you've got this uh, white Italian guy with a seventh grade intelligence level, and then his boss is a black man who is considered a genius and a musical genius. And the dialogue here, it's so sharp, it's witty. How they talk, and more specifically, how they talk to each other, it creates a ton of humor. Um, and it's one of those films that, you know when you're watching a film that is trying to get laughs? Uh, Super Troopers 2, which was the worst, least funny movie I've ever seen. This movie doesn't really feel like it's trying to get laughs, but it created humor so easily. It was just hilarious. Of course, this film, Contrast, is key. That's what it's all about. Your two main characters couldn't be more different. You've got a different skin color, different upbringing, different intelligence, different finances. Tony Lip takes issue with black people, yet he takes this job as a driver to the Deep South with this pianist to get money. You gotta get you, that paper. He needed to get money. 
Dr. Don Shirley takes issue with white people, specifically how they treat him. Um, Can't blame him for that. Yeah, when this is the '60s, and you know, and Dr. Shirley, you know, he takes this trip for a reason, um, and, and and that's obviously, you know, you learn about that as the film goes on. But but over the course of the time, these two opposites gradually connect on a personal level, and they become friends. And the leads here, they they play off each other so well. And part of their friendship and the reason it forms here is because of the character development of these two characters. Um, Dr. Shirley, he's a deeply troubled character. Uh, on one hand, he feels like he can't connect with white people because he's not white. But on the other hand, he feels like he can't connect with most black people because he's, he feels like at that time he was more educated, more sophisticated. He could, he was, you know, uh, more eloquent, all of those things. And in a way, he sort of finds himself as the film progresses. And I think Tony Lip, his character, he does as well. And I love the, the development of these characters along the way. Of course, the timing, this is a stark contrast of race in the North versus race in the South. Uh, surely he could perform for big money on the East Coast, but he goes on this trip to the South in a, in a way almost to try to prove these racist white people wrong. Uh, and obviously that in and of itself creates issues for Tony to fix. And that's why he's there. He's the tough bouncer who's supposed to clean up messes when they, when they arise. The acting in this, again, incredible. Mahershala Ali. I think if you watch him, the subtlety he possesses in his performance, it's just fantastic. You know, in acting, it's so often it's not what they say, but what they don't say and what you see in the character. And he, 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 you know, kind of takes you into his mind and what he's thinking without saying anything. And that's, that's a good skill. And, and it's not an easy skill for actors. And I think the one knock on this film um, is kind of the way it unfolds. Many people kind of consider it a little cliche. It is based on a true story, so it is what it is. But it probably is cliche. Look, you've, you've got a story of two opposites coming together to realize that they have more in common and, and can help each other and can make each other better. And they do make each other better. But I'm okay with the cliches. Love this film. Probably in my top five for the year. I gave it an easy 8 out of 10. Couldn't quite get it to a 9, but an easy 8 out of 10. You haven't seen this film. I've right? not seen Green Book, but it's been one that I've definitely wanted to see. Considered seeing it the other day and definitely will in the future. Uh, just for anyone who's wondering, <clears throat> excuse me, named after the Negro motorist Green Book. Yeah. Uh, informally called the Green Book, which was in the mid-20th century guidebook for African-American travelers uh, to help them find motels and restaurants that would accept them. Um, the script uh, also nominated for Best Screenplay at the Golden Globe, so that's probably some of what you're alluding to with the easy comedy. When you have a good script and you have talented actors, they can easily uh, you know, deliver that, and that usually ends up being gold. But that's Green Book, highly recommended by uh, Evan Dean over here. Another movie I just want to jump into real quick before we get to our power rankings of the best Christmas films of all time hmm. is called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, this is directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, uh, who also wrote and produced it. Let me guess. It's a Western. <laughs> it stars Tim Blake Nelson, Liam Neeson, James Franco, Brendan Gleeson, Zoe Kazan, uh, Tina Daly, Harry Melling, and Tom Waits. Uh, the plot summary from IMDb, as Mr. Evan Dean just alluded to, an anthology film comprising six stories, each dealing with a different aspect of life in the Old West. 
this film premiered at the Venice International Film Festival a few months ago, uh, but it is now available to stream on Netflix, so you can go watch this movie right now. Um, I popped it on not thinking much, just was kind of looking for something to watch. I'm like, oh, it's the Coen Brothers. Eh, might as well watch it. I like a lot of their stuff. Um, I like stories about the Old West. And man, did that just random decision end up being a great one, because I loved this movie. I've been telling everyone, uh, the, the popcorn correspondent, who some of you might remember, I told him to watch it. I told you to watch it, Dean. Uh, we got some other friends in the room. I'm telling all them to watch it. Um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is actually just one of six stories within the film, which is presented from the start, like someone is flipping through an old book and actually reading the stories. Uh, each one has an illustration it starts with an illustration, and it later appears in the story. You see it acted out within each of the six stories. The stories themselves are all wonderfully simple, about simple life in the Old West. Um, and, and while they have all the Western tropes, like saloons and quick-draw showdowns and prospecting and wagon trains and stagecoaches and outlaws and Comanche Indians scalping people, um, they're all so unique in the way they're presented and that's mostly because of the script uh, by the Coens. It's so clever. Cheers, bro. Uh, it's witty, filled with jabs and strange dialogue. It's accented by the Coen brothers' signature dark humor. Um, and it really just captures how strange of a place the Old West was. <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about some of these stories that are portrayed. Do you think the Old West really was... How it's portrayed in film. Today. You know what? I don't really know. I wasn't there. Maybe, right. Maybe maybe we've just got this glamified, glorified vision of what the Old West. It probably wasn't very fun to be there. But at the same time, this movie does sort of show ways in which the Old West was grungy and crappy and sort of a eye for an eye outlaw. You know, survival of the fittest world. Um, but this movie looks amazing. Whether we're talking about snowy mountains, or lush grass-covered valleys, or dusty plains, um, it's shot so good. There's lots of violence in it, almost like Tarantino-esque uh, in, it, in it, so uh, don't watch it with your kids. It's fun to see these big-name actors just sort of come on the screen for a little bit, and then they're gone, because it's just six different Does it, does it do stories. it like six stories in a row? Yeah. Okay. So it's like because I watched the trailer, and that's all I've seen. And and in the you know the trailer, of course, doesn't give away the different stories, but it clearly has very stark contrasts. Like you know, I I noticed one is like in the kind of the stereotypical wild wild west downtown saloon. You know, you know, uh, dirt covered. You know. You know, streets, sidewalks, crossroads, whatever. Uh, and then there's another one like in the in the fields and in the mountains. And there's another one like in the night. In, well, yeah. In well, what I said, like I said, it's it's presented like a book. So like you'll okay. you'll open the book. Like someone literally opens a book. It zooms in on the title of the story. Okay. It shows you like the first paragraph of the story in a book, and then it fades into the story. When that story ends, you come back out and the book is opened and you see the next story okay. and then you go into that. So it's literally like someone is reading you a book. It's it's kind of cool in the cool. way they structured it that way. Anyways, I loved it. Um, it's, it's a fun watch. Great dialogue. Uh, really entertaining. Um, and I actually ended up putting it as my number five movie I've seen so far this year. I liked it that much. Wow. Um, so I highly recommend it. I'm at like an 8.5 on it. Uh, but I gave it an eight. Uh, yeah. So uh, I highly recommend watching The Battle of Buster Scruggs, and it's right at your fingertips. It's right on Netflix, so anyone can watch. You don't even got to go to the theater for it. Yeah, so, all right. Check it out.
All right, well, now we're going to move on to uh, something we teased last podcast. As we said, this is episode 25. Christmas is fast approaching here on December 12th. So ironic. Yes, it, it actually worked out perfectly. Um, we're bringing back power rankings. And for those of you who haven't heard us do power rankings before, uh, it's when we pick a specific category and then rank them uh, one through three. Uh, so in the spirit of the Christmas season, we decided to rank our favorite Christmas movies of all time. And we're, we're doing all time here. No qualifiers. Any film ever released in the history of cinema uh, is, is eligible to be included on this list. Very excited to see what selections we have uh, today. So Evan, what is your number three Christmas movie of all time? Before I give you the number three, I think we need to have a conversation. Oh, boy. And I think we need to ask ourselves as a podcast, and this has been asked by film enthusiasts for years, are films like Die Hard, Home Alone, Batman Returns, Batman Returns, are films that are that take place during Christmas time but aren't themed in a Christmas way. Are those Christmas movies? I have always been under the impression of yes. Okay. But I think that there's a bit of a qualifier in that. It, it, just because it has Christmas in it doesn't make it a Christmas movie. But there's things in Batman Returns like the Penguin centering Christmas... Uh, like, the way he attacks has to do with Christmas. The, Christmas is a constant theme in the story. Die Hard, the whole thing takes place during Christmas in a busy hobby, or shopping time where everyone's having parties and whatnot. So I, I think if it's essential within the plot, then yes, it okay. is a Christmas. Also, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, both consider them Christmas movies. So, to me, that says they're the authority on movies and especially categorizing movies. I say we go with it. Neither of them are in my top three, so it's kind of a moot point for me. It was important for me because my number three is Home Alone. Of course, this is... I think that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. That's Okay, okay. Well, this is obviously a 1990s, 1990 film directed by Chris Columbus, uh, obviously a well, well-known director. Um, and the star of this, Macaulay Culkin, I don't really need to describe Home Alone, do I? I think most people know. I think pretty much everybody knows I heard of it one Home time. Alone. Seen it um, once or twice. Obviously, Macaulay Culkin, his career has been widely under the microscope. He was a child star who kind of went off the rails and never really found success later in life. Not uncommon. Richie Rich. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but what I loved about this is not only his performance as a kid because he was incredible, um, but so much fun of the Home Alone are are the contraptions that he creates and the the bumbling, stumbling, idiotic burglars trying to break into his home as he's left played alone. by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. Yep, as he's left alone on on Christmas vacation. Um, I, I just you know. This is one where, is you you know, as I had asked before, if you consider it a Christmas movie, it's got to be in my top three. Um, Home Alone is a great, great film, a great Christmas film, and there is a lot of Christmas in it, right? I mean, uh, it, it's just one of those that I have to consider in my top three. How about how about you? Did Home Alone make it? Home Alone did not make mine. I love that movie, of course, and I also love the second one too, which a lot of people didn't love. I actually think I like the second one more. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of like an unpopular opinion when he's in New York. But I just love seeing Joe Pesci. You know, we know him from Goodfellas and Casino and all these sort of Martin Scorsese movies where he plays this hardened gangster. Yeah. Frickin and frickin then he gets <laughs> where he's dropping F bombs left and right, and then he gets put in this kids movie by Christopher Columbus and he's getting the crap beat out of him the whole time and he 
He's, he wants to swear, almost like an <laughs> no. ode to how many times he's sworn in some of these, you know, like Raging Bull or something. Oh, yeah. And it, I just love, that's my favorite aspect of it. But yeah, it's fun. It's a fun movie. Absolutely. Home Alone, a holiday classic for sure. Um, my number three, I don't know if you had any honorable mentions, but I'm just going to mention a couple real quick. Uh, the Man Who Invented Christmas is a movie that came out last year. It's a movie about Charles Dickens and his sort of effort to create uh, the Christmas Carol. Um, it's well acted. Dan Stevens plays Charles Dickens. And what I liked most about that movie is he's talking to Scrooge, who appears, but it's just in his mind, and he's sort of talking to Scrooge as he tries to develop the character. And um, uh, so that was a, an honorable mention for mine. And also a Christmas story, um, but I'm not going to jump into that too much yet. My number three favorite movie, Christmas movie of all time, is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, from 1993. That was an honorable mention for me. Okay, there you go. Directed by Henry Selick, but produced and conceived by the mind of Tim Burton. Um, has the voice talents of Chris Sarandon, Catherine O'Hara, William Hickey, Ken Page, Paul Rubens, Glenn Shaddix, and Ed Ivory. The plot summary, Jack Skellington, King of Halloween Town, discovers Christmas Town, but his attempts to bring Christmas to his home causes confusion. This movie is wonderfully animated through stop motion, um, which if you if you know anything about animation, you know how hard that is to pull off. Um, it was actually nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. It was the first animated film to, to pull that off. Um, it, this is straight from the mind of Tim Burton, um, and I just think the idea was so original. You know, I love how the film starts in the forest with the trees representing the different holidays, and... Uh, I've actually always wanted to know what's in like Thanksgiving Town or Easter Town or St. Patrick's Day Town, but uh, the camera zooms right at the start. The camera zooms in on the pumpkin and sort of enters the tree, and the camera roller coasters down to Halloween Town where the the musical number starts, and we're introduced to all the characters of the world. And um, you know, same thing when Jack goes to Christmas Town and everything is snowy and bright. I just think that the 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 world that they created was so great. Uh, Jack Skellington is an amazing protagonist. Um, he's got the classic fatal fall, flaw of ambition. He thinks he's helping, but he's not. The Oogie Boogie is a terrifying villain that gave me nightmares when I first saw this movie hmm. in 1993. It's got a dark and creepy vibe to it, for sure, that Tim Burton has become known for. Um, but I just love how it sort of meshes the two holidays. Like, What other movies could you say is a Halloween movie and a Christmas yeah. movie? Um, and I just, I just think it's how it's handled in this movie is awesome. I, I think it's a really clever, original story. Yeah. I really struggled with the three I had, uh, you know, to kind of, I had three films that I wanted to fit into that three spot and I wavered on a nightmare before Christmas. Cause I'll be honest with you, the, the time that I watch this film annually is on Halloween. Not Christmas. Yeah, I mean, I think it's both. You can obviously yeah. fit it into both. Yeah. Um, but but the actual plot of the story is about him sure. sort of trying to commandeer Christmas. It says Christmas in the title. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I've always considered it a Halloween movie, but I did put it as a, I did put it as an honorable mention. Uh, so that was one of my honorable mentions. Another honorable mention I had was the classic big blockbuster 1990s film that led to two sequels. Can you name it for me? The Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a great movie. It didn't quite crack the list. And then so Home Alone was three. So number two for me. We're going to go way, way the hell back here. This was a TV movie from 1964. This was the early, early age of stop, uh, stop motion animation. And we're talking Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
And this, I, I don't know if I need to say a whole lot about this. This is... I don't think we need to say a lot about a whole lot of these movies. <laughs> this is an all-time classic. Um, I, I ha bought it for my wife for her stocking a few years ago. We watch it every Christmas. Uh, of course, it kind of puts a, a cool twist on the Rudolph story, right? You've got, you've got Yukon Cornelius, the prospector, Hermie and Elf, who wants to be a dentist, Sam the Snowman, who's our narrator, who tells the story. Um, of course, they run into uh, the Abominable Snowman and the Island of Misfit Toys. This is just such a, an amazing Christmas story. It's so old. Um, it's, you know, it was made so many years ago, um, but this will forever be one of my uh, top Christmas films. And that is, yeah, 1964, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's one of a collection of those many stop-motion classic movies that are shown around Christmas. You know, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, or The Little Drummer Boy, or mm -hmm. all those. It's definitely the one that stands out above the rest. Also a favorite of mine. Um, I, I just, I didn't have enough to put it on the, on the list, because it was a TV movie. You know, I like to stick to certain things, but definitely one of the timeless Christmas classics of all time. Um, my number two movie is The Muppet's Christmas Carol. From 1992. Uh, this movie was directed by Brian Henson shortly after the death of his father, Muppets creator Jim Henson. It stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, alongside the Muppet performers, of course, David Goals, Steve Whitmer, Jerry Nelson, and Frank Oz. Uh, the Great Gonzo uh, portrays Charles Dickens, who narrates the movie. Uh, Kermit the Frog is Bob Cratchit. Um, the plot summary... The Muppet characters tell their version of the classic tale of an old and bitter miser's redemption on Christmas Eve. Of course, this is one of the many adaptations of Charles Dickens' 1843 novel, A Christmas Carol. Um, and even though this is, like, literally the farthest thing from an original story, I think the sort of Muppet touch to it gives it some new life. It's like a breath of fresh air. I'm a fan of the Muppets. I love them. Muppets seem like one of those people where, like, you either love them or you hate them. I love them. I think they're hilarious. I love their blend of dry humor. You're giving me a face so I can tell you're falling on the other side. I'm glad for that. Um, <laughs> I think all the Muppet characters, Kermit, Gonzo, Rizzo, Miss Piggy, Fozzie the Bear, they're all perfectly worked into the story in this. Uh, the roles make sense. I think the humor is super clever. I think it's presented as only the Muppets can in their signature way. Michael Caine makes a perfect Scrooge. The music. The music is great. The songs are super catchy. They'll be in your head for days. Um, you know, I'll be candid. There, there's definitely some sort of nostalgia built into this ranking, I'll say. It's always been one of my favorite movies. Um, and I've seen it, but I've seen it many times as an adult, and I still love it. So I'm putting The Muppets Christmas Carol as my number two wow, favorite Christmas movie yeah. of all time. Definitely didn't crack my list, but you're right. If you love The Muppets and you're a fan of The Muppets, you're going to stash it right up there. I'm not, so it did not make my list, um, but... I think we can both agree that uh, my number one is an all-time classic. You already mentioned it, and you knew I was going to mention it. So That's I, why I didn't go with I it. appreciate you <laughs> saving uh, some of your comments on it. Mine is the 1983 film, A Christmas Story. Of course, this is a film made in the 80s, about the 40s. It's either the 40s or the 50s. It is the 40s. We're going way back here. Oh, yeah, here we go. Here's the plot description from IMDb. In the 1940s, a young boy named Ralphie attempts to convince his parents, his teacher, and Santa that a Red Ryder BB gun 
is really the perfect Christmas gift. I mentioned it earlier on the pod, and you did a play-by-play of this on Twitter from the Second Day Film uh, podcast account, which you can follow at... Second Day Film. It's all written out. Uh, This film is random, it's raunchy, and it's totally ridiculous. And this film is awesome. Tell me, have you? can you think of a, a, a Christmas movie that's more of a pop culture icon than A Christmas Story? There are so many, too many sayings and scenes in this film to, to, you know, to even list. They're all just incredibly memorable. They're etched in the minds of film watchers, Christmas film lovers everywhere. You'll shoot your eye out. Do I even need to say anything else? I tweeted, it's the greatest piece of propaganda yes! ever, ever created. But 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 think about all the memes, all the fun, all of the things that still are relevant and mentioned and joked about today. Kohl's, like, Kohl's I looked this up, Kohl's sells an exact replica of the, the leg lamp. Yes, <laughs> okay. Well, I was about to get to it, so yeah. So what, what meme is used more for being cold than Ralphie's little brother who can't put his arms down because he's so bundled up by his mom? You've got the tongue stuck to the flagpole, the stripper leg lamp, the bunny costume, the Red Rider BB gun. These are all things that I'm assuring you are referenced not only during Christmas time, but regularly throughout the year by thousands and thousands of people everywhere and you know this movie is like what i love about this movie is it's not like the all is lovely and all is well and it's christmas with the family right like it just it's a real live look at what christmas is really like and what the film is all about and and what 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 that that time of the year is all about for kids and and the last thing i'll mention is what makes the film undoubtedly is the narration I mean, it's, it's incredible. I actually watched it today. I was doing some chores around the house and threw it on, and I just remembered how great this film is. Yeah, the voiceover technique is what makes it. I wrote that down. And, and the writing within the voiceover, how it's sort of like more advanced writing than someone Ralphie's age would be able to do. Mm-hmm. But it's him looking back on that particular Christmas, so he's writing it as like an adult. It's super clever. Um, it just really captures what it's like to be a kid yeah. about, around Christmas. So yeah, like I said, Christmas Story, obviously a timeless classic. There's a reason TNT or TBS or whatever shows it like 12 times in a <laughs> no, row. It's, around they, the Christmas they, they, they show it a ton. So yeah, we ended up with uh, all different ones this time. That's interesting. Uh, my number one film of all time, kind of like Christmas film of all time, kind of like when we did Romances... And I picked the Titanic. I'm taking the softball here. Uh, it's It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. Uh, directed by Frank... Wah, wah. Sorry, man. Sometimes you just got to take it when it's there. Uh, you and every critic ever. Yeah. <laughs> directed by Frank Campra, Capra, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, Lyle, Lionel Barrymore, Henry Travers, Thomas Mitchell, and others. The plot summary from IMDb. An angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would be like if he had never existed. Um, Obviously considered one of the greatest films of all time. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Um, NBC shows this every Christmas Eve, uh, a lot like A Christmas Story, which has a running spot every Christmas. There's just a reason for that sometimes. Um, and, And... I've probably seen, up until last year, I had probably seen the beginning of this movie, like when he saves his brother from the ice, or even when he's giving up the loans with his own money. I'd seen the first, like, 20, 30 minutes, like, 50 times, but I always fell asleep and never saw it. The end. That's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's mostly because I'm just watching it late, and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, 
I finally saw the end <laughs> not too long ago, you know, when, when Claritz actually comes to Earth, the angel actually comes to Earth. And man, it's just so good. It made me love the movie even more. You know, the, the, the acting is great, the script is great, but what it really is, is this movie just has such a strong message to consider around the holidays. You know, things like self-worth and counting your blessings and pride and love and, you know, destiny and, and free will and what happens when you don't recognize what gifts you've been bestowed and how you impact those around you. It's old-fashioned. It's, it's, you know, it's from 1946. This isn't anything new. But I think we can all use that reminder especially around Christmas every year, and it's a, just a really good movie. For 1946, it still holds up. For people my age and even younger to be able to watch it and still enjoy it, I think that says something about what kind of movie it is. And for that reason, It's a Wonderful Life is my number one Christmas movie of all time. Yeah, I can't blame you. You went more traditional route. I went more like the Christmas story is pretty traditional. Kind of, yeah, but it's, it's kind of like the outside the box, like really. But, but, but to your film... Um, I'm with you though. I don't know, like the last time I've actually sat down and start to finish and watch the whole thing because I've seen chunks of it. I've seen it on TV. I've watched parts of it. It is one of those films that I don't know if I've in a long time, if ever, have really like intentionally sat down and just watched it all. Well, right? but, but that movie has some cultural relevance as well. You know? yeah. It has it, it, that theme that we've seen, that we've seen if what happens if you never lived has been portrayed and replayed many, many times throughout. I just think it's a really good... I just think it's a good movie, and it deserves to be up there. It's interesting, though. Not no Grinch or Scrooge-related films made it in. And and Scrooge is... Oh, Christmas Carol. Well, yeah, yeah. Did did you mention that as an honorable mention? I said Muppets Christmas Carol. Scrooge is the main character. Sorry, I don't think of the Muppets in the traditional... (laughs) I have a really hard time thinking of the Muppets in the traditional sense of a Christmas Carol. But that's kind of a similar theme. He gets to see what other people's lives are like and how he's... You know, he's kind of taken outside of his life and and kind of seeing what things are like. For sure. Anyways, those are our rankings as the, of the Christmas movies. Uh, my my number three was uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. My number two was The Muppets Christmas Carol. And my number one was It's a Wonderful Life. All right, yeah, and of course, my number three, Home Alone. Number two, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the 1964 stop-motion uh, TV movie. And then number one, A Christmas Story, which is uh, an honest film about what? the Christmas time. Lots of great movies to select from, obviously, around the Christmas time. But those are our favorite. What are your favorite? Tell us. Send us messages. Send us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere. We're the Second Day Film Podcast. You can find us on any of that social media. Um, And also, feel free to give us a review, a rating, a like. We just want to interact with you film fans. Um, But, Evan, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off here? No, I just want to say, hey, you know, like Champ said with the social media sites, if you could, if you're a friend or, or you like the site, go to our Facebook page and invite your friends to like it. You know, we, we really want to hear from you. We want to hear what you want us to watch. Uh, that's really what it's all about is, is you know, having uh, shows and podcasts that cater to what you want to hear about. Yep, lots of movies coming out still. We've got Oscar contenders. We've got some big blockbusters like Aquaman and some other ones coming out. So uh, we'll be coming at you with the movies. Also going to be trying to get some some new voices on here uh, in the coming weeks, some new uh, guests. Hopefully we can get another three-person pod yeah. eventually since the Popcorn Correspondent has been MIA. Anyways, we appreciate everyone for listening as always. I hope you enjoyed this sort of Christmas-themed episode. And as always, we'll see ya at the movies. And a Merry Christmas.